This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Jesus. 
Jesus' will. So that just like Jesus, every single word the Father does and everything he commands, I'll do it. And whatever hinders you from doing it, whether it's a past experience, a theological concept, a defense, your job is to get in this process we call spiritual formation. Your job is whether it's to read, pray, fast, talk to leaders, whatever you need to do so that you can trust God without question. And if you can trust God's word like that, if you can be instantly obedient to God, man, you're on your way. But you're not there yet. Sanctification takes a lifetime. There won't ever be a point where you're not in the process of trusting, growing, and learning, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And I get this big cat out today because we're talking about money. I don't want you to walk out when you hear something you don't like. My hope is if you hear something that is a little bit challenging, that you'll go back, open up your Bible, and say, could that possibly be true? We live in an information age where, man, you could go in the internet and you could find out five different perspectives of the very thing I'm talking about. I saw myself as I was looking up information regarding this sermon. Now you need discernment more than ever. There's a deluge of information out there regarding not just tithing, but the church, and what's the right church, and almost every single theological perspective that now exists. There are basically seven or eight different perspectives, and you can find them all. But regardless of what perspective is out there, your responsibility is to go to the scriptures for yourself, like the Bereans who were more noble because they were willing to go and look in the Bible themselves to see if what was being said is true. And God's Holy Spirit is the teacher. Yeah. Regardless of how bad I do today, I'm glad it's not me. It's God's Spirit who is there bearing witness with your spirit that what God's word said is true. Amen. And if you're in tune with God, if you have God's Spirit in you, then the words I say will be life. And they will build you up. And you'll become more like Jesus Christ. I had tea today, so I'm a little excited. <laughs> I don't call I'm still on call, but I got tea. Let me pray and let's jump into this. Father, God, I ask you today, Lord God, to move by your spirit. Move through this text. Lord God, we know it's all your money, Father God. But we ask you, Lord God, help us be good stewards of the portion you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can't open your Bible to the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, we'll look at verses 28 and 33. I have a quote. I like this quote. And it says this, a man named Jim George. It says, the basic question is not how much of our money we should give to God, but how much of God's money we should keep for ourselves. I thought that was a challenging point. Why? Because I believe I work hard for my money. Isn't that a song? I work hard for yeah. my money. Oh, I'm in church. I should sing that song. <laughs> but nevertheless, the, the thought is out there. See, people don't understand how art Philosophy impacts culture. We as a church, as, Fran as Francis Schaeffer argues, we catch the tail end of different ideals that come and permeate our society. At one time, the church led society in concepts and art and vision and in every single aspect. But now the church finds itself at the tail end. And when we hear different ideas and philosophies and principles that eventually the church has to wrestle with, it has been pervading the culture for years. Currently, we find ourselves in a situation where we're still trying to combat against postmodern ideals, postmodern concepts, to basically make the point that there's no such thing as objective truth. And when I preach, what you're hearing from me is just my perspective on the scriptures. But thank God for the Holy Spirit, because he is objectively speaking into your soul today. 
He wants you to know that what he is saying is true. And as you hear the scripture, I may stutter or stumble. It's not me, the speaker, that you should, in a sense, worry about. It's what God is saying that is most important. As I said earlier, I remember when I was playing in the NFL, which stands for not for long for me. <laughs> but nevertheless, as I was playing, I remember I had my Q45 Infinity. Ooh. Eventually, I was going to sing and get my Ranger right. You know, I took my Ranger off in here. Now I was going to have my Infinity for the summertime and my Range Rover for the wintertime. I was going to get my nice house. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. And eventually, I, I started tithing while I was in NFL. And I'm seeing these checks. So I'm like, oh, oh. That's more money than I've ever seen in my life. And I have to tie off of it. But I knew that's what I should do because I saw my mom tied all her life. It was a value that was ingrained in her that she passed down to me. At that time of my life, I was getting close to God. And I didn't know at that time, but I was showing God practically, empirically, that I trusted Him. See, we in most churches talk about money because it's a practical way of showing you, you, and not just us. I don't even look at, I don't even know who is in this church. Honestly, I don't look at the money. We have other people that look at the money. Why? Because I don't want you to think I'm looking, oh, they gave this me X amount. No, I'm going to be really nice to them. I have no idea what you're giving. And I may never know. Because I don't want to be that dude. That dude is vernacular for her. I don't want to be that type of person. I don't want to be that type of person that treats you differently because of how much you're giving. I want to tell you the truth, whether you want to hear or not. I want you to know who God as he is and how he conveys himself. We're going to jump into text today. It is not just about, hey, I was tithing, therefore I played in the NFL for 25 years because I was a faithful tither. No, I was gone the next year. My tithing did not keep me in the NFL. As a matter of fact, my tithing probably showed God, oh, he's ready to go. Maybe I should have tied. He probably would have kept me longer. Nevertheless, who knows? I could bet it was a situation we never know what those things will bring. But today we can say something objectively. Tithing is a matter of the heart. God has sanctified 10% of what you produce, what you can make. It's a fact. Today we are in our economical system that is partially decentralized and ultimately free market. We know there's a little bit of mix of it going on. And nevertheless, we don't necessarily barter anymore, but we're not even an agricultural culture. Uh, we're not an agriculture and culture. We are a culture based upon, in a sense, cash. Now, I'm not going to talk about a different type of cash system that is out there. What I'm going to say is when we talk about tithing today, we're talking about money. Yes, you can tithe your time, your talent. But today, specifically, we're talking about money. Now, just if you're a visitor, understand how many times have I preached on money here at this church? None! So if you're busy, don't think I'm the, I'm the money man, because I'm not. I'm not the money man. I'm the guy who preaches do you trust Jesus Christ? Me, when I say trust, I'm communicating faith. I believe the Greek word aros, which, no, the Greek word bestuo, sorry, that's the lift up. Bestuo is something indicative to the Hebrew word of faith. Biblical faith is not just mentally assenting that God exists. The Bible says the demons believe and tremble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not saving faith. Saving faith is trusting in the character of God, trusting in the words of Jesus Christ, trusting in the leading of the Holy Spirit, 
Do you trust God? Look it up for yourself. You'll see if you go to any commentary or any uh, concordance, they will say under the different connotations, trust, to entrust, to trust the one who you put your confidence in. The question is, do you trust God? Do you believe Jesus? Jump into the text. So, before we get into the specifics here, we have to understand what's happening. The Israelites have gone out of the promised land. And now, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. The Israelites have gone out of Egypt. And before they get to the promised land of Moses is up on Mount Sinai, they sin. While God is giving them the law, they are going wild. They are wildly out. I don't know how to communicate. They're going crazy. So every time you'll see this pattern here at the beginning, that God gives a law, they break it. God gives another law, they break it. God gives another law, and they break it again. Because the point of the law is to try to show that they can't keep the law. Mm -hmm. Here, we're coming out of the law. And the point isn't to keep it, even though that's God's hope. But the point of the law is like a teacher. Um, my son, sons have a difficult time cleaning up the room. So every time I go in the room, I see like one piece of paper on the ground. I say, clean up that mess. Get that underwear off the ground. Who wants to see those drawers? Right? I am trying to teach him so that when he is by himself, it will be a value that he has intrinsically. But now God's trying to show them, the Israelites, they don't even have these values. They don't have the love of God in their heart. And the 613 laws are designed to show them they need help. They need a Savior. Free will offerings, according to the Old Testament, was an offering given because you freely wanted to do it. That's all God wants. This issue is it should be tied to the New Testament or was it the Old Testament? That even is not the point. The issue is do you love God? Remember, we talked about the last two weeks, we talked about Abraham. And Abraham gave to God because he was faithful because of what God had just delivered him from. He and his 318 men overcame a whole army. As a matter of fact, four armies of people who just won a war. Then we went to Jacob, and Jacob received this great promise from God. And after he heard this promise, he was like, Sis, you have made this promise. I'll come back to this place right here, and I'll give you a tenth of what you've given me, a memorial. Tithing is really just about trusting him. It could be about a thank you or memorial. But the issue is, do you trust God? When we give, we're showing ourselves and he also God who knows everything. We're not dependent upon our money. We depend upon our real provider, Jehovah Jireh, which is God. Tithing is the one way you can help fight against materialism. That if you're a person who likes to keep the money in your pocket, there's no prayer deliverance that's going to come to you to free you from that. The only way to be free from that is what? Giving. That's how you find freedom from it. But I'm also very practical. I know that what? People won't give unless you budgeted to give. If you have not budgeted to give consistently to God, you'll tip. Maybe you'll find the cause that you like and then you'll dedicate some money to that. But if you haven't budgeted to give, then you more likely will not give. Also, I'm not the type of guy who argues about, should I give Bruce? Or should I give Ned? It, I don't, 
not the question I wrestle with. The question I wrestle with is how much can I give God and still live? My hope is as I grow in my faith, I'll give more. This year I'm going to give it 10%, but next year I'm giving 11. And then the next year, 12. And 13 and 14 and on and on. My hope is that by the time I'm leaving this earth, I'm living off of 10% and giving 90. Now, what is my hope? That 10%, woo, is a big percent. <laughs> but nevertheless, my hope is that I'm not dependent upon money because money cannot save me. That's right. It's only God that saves us. So here, most people go to Leviticus chapter 7 when it deals with tithes and offering, but the context comes with the vows. So if you go from verses 1 all the way down to verse 28, it deals with different vows that are given to God. And the problem is people were making vows and they were doing it to get attention. They would come up and say, oh, I vow my land to God. And they would do it to be seen. They had no intention on keeping their vows. They would want to be saved. They wanted attention because of their devotion. Remember when Jesus was talking about the woman who gave all of her living, which basically is two pennies in order to taste vernacular. She was given all she had. And these big, rich pastors and prophets were coming up, and they were given all this money, and they put it in this, this cylinder-type thing that had an echo. And when they put all their money in, have you ever been to the bank and you have all that change, right? And you put it in that machine, and and everybody's like, what is that? And you keep hearing, like, wow, they got tons of, that was the effect they were looking for. They wanted people to think they were so holy, devoted to God, pious. They wanted people to see them, but God is looking at the heart. She gave all she had. They gave out of their abundance, and God considered her blessing, her sacrifice, her giving more honorable than them. So it talks about in her vows in verse 1 all the way through to verse 27. And in it, people, if they're making a vow to God, they would say, hey, I'm going to dedicate land to God. And they had an opportunity to redeem the land or buy it back. <laughs> they had this opportunity. But if they bought it back, they had to pay what is considered a tax. So, hey, I'm going to dedicate my house to God. It's dedicated to God. He can use it for what he wants. Now, it would just sit there unless the temple had a purpose for it. But before the purposes could be fulfilled, they had to talk to the people who had dedicated it to God. And the people would say, hey, I want to redeem my house. I don't want to lose it. So they would buy it back with interest. They would, whew, I didn't lose it. Now, if they didn't buy it back, the temple would sell it and make the profits of it. And this is something that happened all the way from 1 through 27. You can, in a sense, dedicate people to God. Remember, the Bible, Samuel, was dedicated to God from a little boy. That scripture is always so sad because his mom would bring this little cloak to him. I would always I'd be like, oh, I, I cry sometimes. But he's a little boy. And every year, his mama would see him one time. And she would bring this blanket to him. And this little boy would grow up in the temple. Now, this is an unusual situation, but nevertheless, she made a vow to God, if you give me a son, because she couldn't have a son at this time, oh God, I'll dedicate it to you. He'll be yours all his life. And she did. And he was dedicated to God, and he served God all his life unto death. That's not the norm. 
the norm is you give something to God and the people understand, the temple, the pastors understand that these things dedicated to God eventually will be redeemed and given back to the individuals. So there's no real giving to God in this case. So what happened here in the law is they're trying to end that. They're trying to end this facade that you're really pious, you're really devoted, you're really dedicating something to God. Because if you're going to dedicate something to God, understand, you've got to keep your word. So now we get into verse 28. And in verse 28, this argument the law is putting out changes from dedicating something to God. But this word here is not the normal devoted. This is completely devoted to God, but no expectations on getting in the back. This is the type of person that says, God, if you save me from this mess, who has said this? Yeah. Oh, Lord, I'll give my car to you. And you get saved, and you say, oh, I'm not going to give my good car. I'll give you my motorcycle, right? I need the car. Like, no, he's like, no, no. This is something you cannot go back on. Keep your word. Psalm 15 says, keep your word to your own arm. Now here, 28 says, nevertheless, no devoted thing. That's, this is like, this is something that's like a double dog dare. A triple dog dare. If you triple dog dare this thing, don't expect to get it back. You've made a solemn vow that you can't go back on. Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast of the field, or his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. Luke, via God, he's trying to tell the book, if you make this sacred battle, don't expect to get it back. This is God's. It's gone. Don't go back on your word to God. Keep your word to God. Now, this is seemingly about money, but it's not about money. This is about keeping your word. And the whole chapter is about keeping your word to God. You make a vow, keep it. Don't make vows to be seen. Don't make vows to show people how pious you are. Oh, if, Lord, you deliver me from this infirmity, I'm going to go to church every single day for the rest of my life. And then you get delivered and you don't go to show up at church again. This is like, God, I'm going to keep my word. I've given it. And I'm going to keep it regardless because God expects us to keep our word. It goes on here in verse 29. No person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. Now, what this is, is actually a connection. If you lose, use literary clues, it's the same thought. This whole thing is the same thought. Translators have had trouble with verse 29 because it seems like it's saying that this person, in a sense, is going to be executed. He can't be saved from execution, which would be a normal understanding. But this is trying to say, if you give your word in this way, you have to keep your word unto death. There's no going back. Keep your word to God. Here we go. Get the good stuff. In verse 30, it says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it's the Lord's. So now, this is what it's trying to communicate. You can't tell God, I vow the tithe. You can't say, Lord, I want to devote myself to tithe because he said, that's already mine. He said, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't devote something that's already mine to me. 
He said, the tithe is already mine from the very beginning. That's not a devoted thing to God. This is mine anyway. What is it talking about here? It's talking about seed or fruit from the tree. The first 10% of their harvest is automatically God's. It's separated to God for a particular purpose. God already has a plan for that first 10%. That money's already moved and gone. It's already budgeted in God's economy somewhere. That money is already going somewhere to God. Now, I say money, but it's a seed. That seed, in a sense, would in a sense be sold for either food or used for the priests or widows or orphans for their own consumption. But this, he says this. He says this. If a man at all wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. Now understand this. You can buy back your tithe if it's seed or fruit. If it's produce, you can buy back. But when you buy it back, you have to buy it back for the valuation the priest put on it, plus an extra one-fifth. Got that? Everybody got that? So if I give him my apples, I give him 100 apples, and I say, okay, I want to buy back my apples that I tied to the Lord, I have to buy back plus one-fifth. So I pay the dollar amount, and it sits for the apples, whatever the priest valued it, plus one-fifth more on top of that. 32. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. Now what is it saying here? As you have your animals going under the rod, every tenth one is God's. There's no going back on this. Your favorite animal may be the tenth one. You can't push it out and go, oh no, I don't want that cow to go. That's the fattest one we got. No. Every tenth one is God's. There is no question about this. God's. And he's communicating this, understand this, in Leviticus 27, the very last chapter in Leviticus. It's almost like it was thrown in there. This isn't a major thing to God. This is a sentence to end. Hey, and an understanding ties. Hey, do it. A tenth is mine. A tenth of your fruit, a tenth of your herd is God's. Next point. 33. And he shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it all, then both it and the one exchanged shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. The last point he's making here is this. If your favorite cow or bull or sheep or goat happens to be the tenth one and you try to use chicanery to get your favorite cow or sheep or goat out of the tenth number slot and you get caught, then the cow you want and the one you try to exchange for that cow, sheep or goat, will all now be God's and you will lose out. So here what's trying to clarify is there's no question the tenth, the first tenth, is the Lord's. And that God uses that first tenth for whether it be ministry or whether it be for widows and orphans or for the priesthood. But he's trying to say this is anything you dedicate to God because it's already mine. Everybody got it? Let's jump into some points that we're done. First point. 
God required the Jewish citizen who was productive to give one-tenth of the produce to him, to God. Now, even though we're looking at the Old Testament, understand this is something that pervades the entire Bible. The first week we talked about Abraham before the law. The second week we talked about Jacob before the law. And I think next week we're going to go for the New Testament. The issue of tithing is not just about a law. Remember, we can't keep the law. The law shows us that we can't do right. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel promises that once we trust God, once Jesus Christ dies on the cross, once he's buried and resurrected, we can become new creatures. We go from the sons of Adam to the sons of God. The Beneha Elohim, the sons of God, which is a title only given to three distinct types of people in the Bible. It comes from Adam, the angels of God, and us. We have been born anew. We're new creatures. And because we're new creatures, we've been given a new heart. And that's the one thing God has been trying to give us from the beginning. God has redeemed us by changing our will to align with God's will. And once your heart is aligned with God's will, giving him 10% isn't a problem. Now, if I tell my wife, baby, I love you. But I'm only going to give you a 10% of the budget. You can't have anything else. I would be offending her. Why? Because she's the what? I get everything. I get 100% of the budget. That's her fault. And I'm like, hey, you're right. But God is saying, hey, 10% of what's mine, I'm asking to give back. The other 90, you get to keep. Keep it and do with it what you want. Now, if you love God, then not just the 10, but the 100% is really what's at stake. God's really looking at you with the tin, like, okay, give me the tin, but what are you going to do with the other night? This is the real issue here. We are above the law. We're under grace now. And now God has changed our hearts. We're God's children. And even though we are, in a sense, free will creatures, still, we're still in love with God. And there are people out here who need your resources. There are people in Iraq who need your resources. That's just the way it is. I had a great conversation, a Bible study with a gentleman. He was like, God promised me wealth. He promised me that I'm going to be rich. I'm like, he did. Praise God. But if you look at the history of mankind right now, we as Americans are what? Richer than 98% of the rest of the human race that ever lived on the planet. Right now, with the income you have right now, you are richer probably 90% of the rest of the planet now and probably 98% of everybody who's lived in the past. Right now, you're rich. Very wealthy. There are people who can't get to water, clean water, can't find uh, schools, can't eat regularly. But we have access to all this here in America. You're rich. But if I took all that away, this is the beautiful thing about God. If I took away all your money, your house, your clothes, I guarantee you, you're still rich in Christ. The Bible says, now that you're Christ, you own all things. Everything as Christ is yours. If one day you 
hopefully this week you go to sleep and God comes to you in a dream and talks to you. What experience is more wealthier than that? To know that God is with you. He has a plan for your life, and he's going to complete what he started in you. Amen. That your life doesn't end when your breath stops, your brain dies. That this is just the beginning. That this life isn't all there is. That there's a heaven waiting for us. A real heaven back here on a resurrected earth. And then we can really hug each other. Because we don't have to worry about not seeing each other again. We don't have to worry about our breaths. We don't have to worry about offense, pain, suffering, dying. Heaven is the promise that is out there for us all. Don't get deceived with this little monopoly money. I know it's real. I'm trying to make a point. This money is what it's about. This money is your test. Do you trust God or do you trust money? And everybody's going to have to answer that question. Not just by their words, but by their actions. And we say here, I know Jeremiah like this, man, I'm sweating. We say here, I don't know what this This baby's hot, but I'm off to go back on. So we here at this church, we say, if you don't want to give, don't. God will take care of this church. We're doing what God wants. God will take care of this church. This is his church. God doesn't need your resources. You need God. You need to love Him and trust Him. And if you're wrestling with money, man, you take the God. Don't just leave from here saying, hey, I'm never going to give. Pastor Mass is trying to get my money so he, get, so he can buy some business. And he wants to buy another jet. Right? I got my jet. Where is it? It's back there somewhere. Right? <laughs> Jared. <laughs> but we here, we want to help you with your finance. We start a financial piece. We have a couple from Tennessee. We know they ran it down there. We're trying to implement financial peace for you all. If you are in debt, get in the class. Do it. It's kind of like working out. If you're out of shape, I thought I was going to die a couple weeks ago. I thought I was going to die. I was drinking coffee. I thought I was going to pass out. I called my so I've been running. So I ran and I thought I was going to die because I was trying to get in shape. I, my hip almost popped out of socket. My knees, are, I, I got no cartilage. Like it was all bad, right? But I had to get into shape. It was a painful process. Trusting God is like getting in shape. It's a painful process. But the results are worth it. Next point. God may tithe and part of the law. This is something you have to understand. The patriarchs were already given. Remember, the patriarchs represent a type of Christ, a type of God. Abraham sacrificed his son. Remember, Jesus Christ was sacrificed in the very same spot that happened. Remember, Isaac, he had to wait for his bride, the symbolic of Jesus Christ waiting for the church. And then Jacob found the way he had to trust God. He saw the ladder. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. He wrestled with God, the angel, and won. All of these individuals trusted God. And you too have to trust God. God had to make it a part of the law to show all the people in the future that they understood that this giving back to God is a part of loving God. Giving back to God is a part of loving God. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. I'm like, well, if I love you, then why not just kiss you? 
know, that just, if I love you, Lord, why can't I just like pray if you love me? The next point, give 10% of what you produce from God. I'm trying to get a funny word in my network. The thing about it is we live in an economy that deals with dollars and cents. We don't, everybody here doesn't, if you, if, please don't donate a cow if you have a cow. <laughs> I, I can't do anything with it right now. You got sheep, sheep, I understand you want to tie the sheep and keep it right now. Or maybe we exchange it and we can do something with it right now. We're not the place where they accept your animals or vegetables. I know a lot of people when it comes to time, they say, well, it's not talking about money. It's talking about time or it's talking about talent. No, it's talking about money. Don't get it twisted. Now, time and talent are part of it. But tithing is 10% of what you produce, what you make. Mm-hmm. Don't wrestle with this. Do it. Now you're like, I can't do it. Okay, I got it. Just take time. Just trust through the process. When you get to the point next year or this year when you budget, have the courage to put it as a line item. Tithing. You say, hey, I'm not going to give the pastor back because he's going to buy another pair of shoes or another nerd shirt. He got a hit out of those shirts. No, it's the same one washed over and over, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Right? But if you don't trust me, you think I'm going to take your money and go to another church and tie. It's not about us. This is for your own soul. you got to do this for yourself because if you don't trust God, then you don't trust Him. You can't say I trust and you're not willing to trust. The point is, do you trust? That's what you have to answer for yourself. Why? Because that 10% God has marked for certain things already. God has already decided that money to go somewhere specifically. I was sent to Egypt. People in the church helped raise funds to send to Egypt. And when I went there, I went there to share my faith. And I was in the Egyptian sun. It was like 132, literally. And I was cracking. And I'm dark-skinned, right? I was cracking. That sun was winning. I was losing. But I was there sharing my faith. God had already predetermined that the money would be for what it was used for. To go and help other people who are Muslims learn about Jesus a young man from the state of West Virginia who played for the Vikings for a little while. That 10% is separated for God for something already. So you got to align your heart with God's heart. you got to center on God. Consider God sanctified your money. If the 10 is sanctified, then you know what? The 90 is sanctified. That money is the Lord's. You are the Lord's. Remember, it's not about money. You came here today and I'm talking about money, but this has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with this. Your heart. You're going to do what you want to do. Today, you're going to go home. All right? You're going to do what you want to do. Some people want to go home and barbecue. Where? Who's barbecuing? So I know. I'm coming to your house. <laughs> Pastor, because I saw what you all did. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do what you want to do? Let me come on, be honest. Like, no one will stop you from doing what you want to do. If you want to give, there's nothing that's going to hinder you from giving. Let's be honest. If I want to kiss my wife, I'm going to kiss her. I don't care what you say. 
I'm gonna kiss my wife. Oh, oh. That's what I'm gonna do. You wanna do what you wanna do? Think about it. You wanna do what you wanna do? What's stopping you from doing what God asked you to do? Remember, God gives the ability to produce money. That's all God's saying. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Lord, we know we're incapable of obeying the commands you've given to us, Lord God. We, we don't have the strength or the will. So we depend upon your grace to do it, Father God. Lord God, we depend upon you, Lord God, to help us do what you've commanded us to do. We're fallen creatures, Lord God. We're broken. And we ask you, Father God, to take the pieces of our lives and put those pieces together to make a beautiful mosaic, Father God. That when people look at us, they don't see us, but they see you. Father God, you often use money to refine us, to test us, to try us, Lord God. Help us pass this test, Lord God. Lord God, even if we pass it with just a, a, a 70%, Lord, help us just pass it. We want to get better, Lord God. We want to make that 100%. But Lord God, help us right now pass for your name's sake. Lord God, we know it's not just about money. It's about our trust in you. And ultimately, Lord God, that's what we want to do. To trust you. There's, there's no reason why we shouldn't trust you. You are good. You are faithful. You are kind. Yes, you God. are loving. Thank you, Father. And you prove that when you sent Jesus to die on the cross. You proved how good you are. You kept your word. And if you kept your word, through that storm, that you'll keep your word to us through our storm. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if there's someone here today and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want you to very briefly raise your hand and put it down and we'll pray for you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Is there someone else here who you've, you've, you've turned away from God? And you want to get closer to him again. You want, you want to make it right with you and God again. If you're here today, this is your day. Just raise your hand and put it down. We'll pray for you. I see that. Well, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I just want to pray for you really quick. And I want you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Let everyone say this. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I need you. I need you. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Come into my life. I turn from my plans. I turn from my plans. And I turn to yours. And I turn to yours. I repent of my sinful ways. I repent of my sinful ways. And I commit my ways to you. And I commit my ways to you. And I'll follow you. And I'll follow you. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.